think, I'm pretty sure it's a breach of privacy. I don't think you're supposed to tell people that you're appointed with their friends. Welcome to Wait Long by the River, the podcast where we brave the winter winds to bring home kindling for your creative fires. It's been a big month for the show. The website's been spruced up, our first email's about to do the rounds, and the audiences at the live shows just keep getting more handsome. I'll be honest with you, notwithstanding any potential apocalypse or apocalypses to come as a result of the collective disregard for our environment, things are looking bright for Wait Long by the River. Come share in the unsmug optimism on Twitter or on the Wait Long by the River Facebook page. On this show, we speak to rack onto extraordinaire Mandy Connell. She's forthright and talented and liable to break into song mid-sentence, which we love her for. Her set on the night was superb, and we'll have that up on the website for you soon, along with links to her band Stray Hens and a whole bunch of other stuff. For now, stay tuned while we discuss Macedonian 17th century folk concept albums, feeling entitled to tram jams, and what happens when you stand up for Judas in a country town. Welcome to the podcast, where we... Desperately wanted to get inside the creative minds of the brightest people Melbourne has to offer. And after months and months of trying to glean that information from the horoscopes in MX, we decided we actually had to start talking to them in in the flesh. After a couple of successful interviews, I decided to pick someone who I'd heard before and had a lot of history with, even if she doesn't really know it just yet. Uh, I'm really happy to be able to introduce... (laughs) I don't have any surprises planned. She's... For people listening in Radio Land, she looks horrified. But no, it's great. It's going to be good. you got nothing to worry about. And you, audience, have nothing to worry about because you're in the safe and loving hands of the wonderful folk troubadour, mandolin master, guitar strumming minstrel, Mandy Connell. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> hey, sorry to set you up with such a big intro. No, it's good. I, it was a very good intro. Now I'm blushing. And uh, slightly worried. They can't see that in Radio Land. No, no, that's why I thought I'd mention it. Yeah. One of the advantages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so now I'm, I'm definitely blushing. And uh, I, I actually have a photo of you from a, a while ago at the National Folk Festival watching Martin Pearson. Martin Pearson? Watching Martin Pearson. I think it was either right before or right after the Fagans played and Martin did a crazy mixed up set of folk ballads and um, songs about uh, the, the wee free men from the Terry Pratchett series. Yeah, you can always count on him to reference some delightful bit of comedy. Sometimes I feel like that's pressed upon him. I remember watching him play a wonderful series of songs about his torturous Catholic upbringing in a boarding school, whether it was Catholic, it was religious. I say Catholic because that's what torturous and religious go together in my brain. Uh, that's the meeting place of those two adjectives. Uh, but then halfway through, you could sort of see him switch gear and say, all right, I got to entertain all these people. And so he just put on his, his smiling face and played like five Lord of the Rings songs or something in a yeah. row. Uh, I often wonder about what's going on inside the heart of Martin Pearson. Well, I think there's a, a funny thing that happens to Martin, um, as probably does to most artists, where he um, he gets torn between the two focuses that he's passionate about so there's the songwriting that he does which is mostly parodies and comedy and then there's the patter which he's known for and you know has sold thousands of cds to crowds of tens of thousands of people at places like woodford and the national folk festival and then there's this his serious side and he's he's kind of not quite as well known for that so he he loves to play the old ballads that i grew up listening to um like uh, crazy man michael and songs about 
the, the Knights of the Round Table and um, songs <laughs> from the 15, 16, 1700s. Wow. Like the, so you both sort of share the same musical heritage. Um, well, I mean, he's actually English. and uh, Okay. <laughs> um, not me quite so much. Um, I'm, I'm sixth or seventh generation Australian. And I, interestingly, I grew up with the, the contemporary folk scene in Australia, which um, developed very organically, but did also come across the water from the UK on, on vinyl uh, that people posted to each other. Wow. Um, and he actually lived it. He was there. And yeah, he, he was there. grew like his he, hair and yeah, then kept it there. Slightly and, different um, yeah. on account of he was actually there and I kind of just listened to a bunch of CDs. And <laughs> he may actually still have hairs that were there during that folk revival of the British that, that then influenced rock and roll and spread all over the world. And um, that's, that's a good theory. I think I, d- I definitely remember him shaving his head at one point. Really? So maybe not so much. He might keep them in a drawer though. He's that kind of guy. Wow, well, because Sinead O'Connor is the real deal as well when it comes to that folky stuff, and she shaved her head, so there's a connection. Absolutely, and she covered Prince. Really? Mm, you can huh. be both. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, nobody does. People say, oh, so what do you, what do you, like, you're a folk musician, that's really awesome, and you kind of get through what being a folk musician is about, and then they say, oh, so what do you listen to? I was going to play some of this, but oh, you, you won't like that very much. It's like, what, what planet are you on? Just because I like folk music, I can't also like... Pearl Jam or something? I don't know. <laughs> Are you a Pearl Jam fan? Uh, Is this I, a scoop? I was <laughs> I was late to the party, but I did I did eventually develop a fondness for some Pearl Jam records. Yes. Wow. All right. That's good to hear. <laughs> I mean, the connection that I was alluding to before was just that uh, I've. I've discovered folk festivals sort of in my late teens and I went to a whole bunch with family friends and stuff and then once I was touring around with Joe Oppenheimer and playing gigs I was going to more and more folk festivals and I discovered stuff like Illawarra Folk Festival which I just loved to death and and then when I was thinking about in the run-up to this interview I was thinking about where I knew you from I think you might have played at every folk festival I've ever been to I think that when I look through the list of the twelve or so that I that constitute my whole experience in that world, really, you're probably on this on the list for ninety five percent of them. Wow, ninety five percent of twelve is eleven and a half. That's I don't know I, where you were for half I've of Illawarra. I've definitely been to at least eleven and a half folk festivals. Yeah, great. <laughs> and even other people that I met, like Lindsay Meldrum, who yeah. like I hung out with, and then I realized, oh yeah, because she's Mandy's friend. There's well, this huge network. We played a bit of music together for a while. Yeah, um, I actually. I haven't seen her in a while, but I hear she's coming home for a while. It's great news because she's been in America. Yeah. yeah. So is the folk world, is it sort of a different world? I mean, are there people that you're only friends with there and then you come back to real life or is it all the same thing? It used to be completely separate. And uh, being a folky, I'm 31, um, which will come as a shock to some of you, I'm sure. Is that another <laughs> scoop? <laughs> um when I was a teenager, being a folk musician was not cool, even among teenagers at folk festivals. Oh, no, so they were all dragged there by their parents, but then they were all gloomy and stayed in their tents listening mm. to iPods? Yeah, well, they didn't have iPods Walkman. then. <laughs> oh, wow, I'm that old. Was um, it Walkman? Because I had a Walkman, so yeah, you're not that they, old. they had Walkmans, and I think they might have been Discmans when I was growing up too, um, cool. for those people with actual money, which I should, again, stipulate was not such a folky thing. But uh, <laughs> How did people run and listen to music in an era where, 
like the disc, the Walkman's fine, but the Discman, yeah, it skips yeah. every time you move at all. I remember carefully holding it as I walked to school. Yeah. But people are laughing like they didn't do the same thing. Didn't you? Didn't you carefully <laughs> cradle your Discman on the way to? Yeah. <laughs> or else you'd be listening to Kurt Cobain and he'd be all emotional, but also doing the yes, yes one as you. Which no other. I mean, how did that take over from tape? Tape is awesome. Yes. Actually, I just saw an amazing epic. 20, 30-year-old tape machine the other day at Red Door Studios. Mm. That was very cool, but I, I had to. I was not allowed to play with it. I had to go and record in the other room, but that was okay. Was that a paid endorsement for Red Door? Because happy to take them on as a sponsor if they're oh, listening. Wow. Um, That's awesome. No, but it should be. Yeah, good. <laughs> I think we had paid endorsements for some sort of cigarettes last time, and that I wasn't happy to pick up. <laughs> but Red Door sounds great. Yeah, um, people, people who are into folk music never aspired in my day to going to places like Red Door Studios and recording, which, by the way, was run by Chris Shaney from Living End for a long time. And apparently Kanye West was there like a few months ago. No way. I don't actually know what he does, but I know that he's ruined Triple J for a lot of my friends. <laughs> there, are, there are two albums There are two albums that are really genuinely worth listening to. People keep telling me this too. Yeah, Eventually, but then... it's on the list of modern music to get around to. No, you but, won't um... like it. You won't like it because you're a folky. That's how yeah, that works. Yeah, see, that's, that's definitely... Yeah, you're cut off from the real world. There's like a barrier there. Yeah, but, but you are a part of the real world. Right. I'm, I am definitely. I have to work and um, apparently deal with the repercussions that you see on Facebook of the current government and stuff. Oh, yeah, we're all... The, hey, well, look, the, look, bit of a silver lining, just to make you feel better. I don't know if you guys read this before you got here, but they put up the minimum wage by 50%. 50 cents! <gasps> <laughs> if we all... If you, just give me, if you just give me one second of silence, I can edit that out. It's, it's okay. Thanks, no. everyone. <laughs> I heard one laugh cut off mid laugh just then. Nobody really will believe that. That's no, it's definitely fair. 50 cents. But it's 1870 now. And talk about how old we are. I remember when I was getting paid 12 bucks. Mm, 12. That was That was really sad. You started at 12? Yeah. I started at 8. Ooh. Was that yeah. for family or something? Uh, is that illegal is what I'm saying? It was a really bad waitressing job and I kept it for about a week. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. Yep. yep. Good. Does, is, that, is that representative... Of the rest of your employment history? Uh, outside of the folk industry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want to talk about your current employer unless they're Red Door Studios. Uh, no, nope. <laughs> I thought I could just get another plug in. Yeah. I'm trying to pitch myself <laughs> to them now. Uh, how do you... That's, I'm really curious. I want to ask this of every musician who ever comes up here. How do you balance real life and, and living as a music? Because you've played... I don't know if you know this. You've played 25 gigs this year. Already, judging by your website, and I imagine there's more that aren't even on the website. I think actually, it, actually, I think I just failed to update the website quite a bit, and it might so have been more than number? that. I I haven't been keeping count. I don't know. Does anybody else? I don't know how many of you are musicians, but does anybody else get that random feeling like you have three days where you don't do anything, and you suddenly feel like you've wasted the entire year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens to me, but it's. It never really goes away that feeling. So to answer your question about balance, <laughs> I don't have balance. You know, I, I do every I do sloth for a week, and then I spend two weeks madly doing all of the admin for the entire year's gigs and all of the posters and tuning and ordering strings and getting everything done in that one week, and then I go back to being a sloth and feeling like I never do anything at all. 
Oh, no, that's fantastic <laughs> to get all that stuff done, though, because I keep meaning to get around to them. And then 2014, I, uh, is you, that the year that it is now? Yes. You made a poster for this gig. <laughs> my my partner made a poster for this gig, and oh. she's amazing. That's why there's a sneaky hand in the background. I wouldn't have even That's an achievement, man. You've, you've hooked up with a really organized person that in itself Extremely is... Extremely organized. <laughs> we would not, none of us would be sitting here for t- today if it wasn't for her. None of oh. us. She must be... Oh, who is this wonderful That's person? That's Kayla. She's there. She's the blushing yeah. one. That's two blushes That's one you. evening. Hi. You made an awesome poster. It, it yeah. is a really beautiful poster. And I didn't see that their sneaky chicken until I got here. But um, uh, I like the Stray Hens reference. It's very nice that somebody will plug my band even kind of subliminally. Very cool. We are sort of here to plug your band. Yes. To be fair. Like yes. that's that's the, the extensive purpose. The real purpose is so I get to talk to people because... Otherwise, you know, don't get out much. <laughs> no, it's not true. This room's mainly populated by my friends. Thank you for coming uh, a lot, all of you guys. Oh, I, I guess it's, it's, it's also really nice to, um, it's nice to be asked to do something as a solo artist because I haven't been concentrating on my solo performance much over the last year and a half. Does that mean you just vague out mid-song? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it, no, actually, what it means is I've been uh, working really hard to put the traditional set together with the Stray Hens, and uh, I formed that band specifically so that I'd get an opportunity to play real folk music. Because there's a, a lot of. I'm in the folk category. I, de- I identify as folk. You know, if if there was a an ethnic group you could call folk, that would be me. You know, I'm 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 there. I grew up in it and I've always called myself folk since before Mumford and Sons and all <laughs> <laughs> Before it was cool. Yeah, before yeah. banjos were on T shirts, you know, I, I was I was cool with all that stuff. But um I never really got much opportunity to play the old traditional stuff and I was always playing stuff that I'd written. Mm-hmm. Which I'm still very fond of and I, I haven't given up for a second. But um in addition to that, I really wanted to play the old music and so I put together a band of people who play fiddles and basses and drums mm-hmm. and stuff. And uh, so we've been working on that and I've been playing a lot of rhythm guitar and a lot of very, very old folk songs and not being Mandy Connell so much but as more like that chick who's in the middle of the other two chicks with the stray hands. See, you're the foundation of the, the group rather than just the foundation and the whole building and yeah. everything, all the <laughs> bells and whistles all at once. Yeah. So when you're a when you're a singer-songwriter, like whenever I say I'm a singer and they say, oh, what do you play? And I say, oh, guitar and sing like everybody else. And then they say, oh, do you write your own songs? And that's like the gateway moment where if you say yes, then they think you're cool. And if you say no, then they all picture their cousin who plays covers in a bar and, and they saw him once and they didn't really like him. But you so far out the other end. Have you noticed that people say that singing old folk songs, traditional songs, is covers. Like, Do they say that? Because I, I haven't just, noticed. I, don't. I just could, I could throttle some people for that because it's, it's not covers. Mm. Covers is anything. If I'm singing, if I'm sitting up here and you can drunkenly wander up to the bar, tug me on the foot and say, can you play K-San? And I say yes, then I'm playing covers. If I'm mm-hmm. playing a 700 your old folk song that you've never heard of before. How exactly and on what planet is that 
covers. That's what I thought. I thought it's all in how you say it. I was going to like, because if you say, well, I don't write my own songs, but I do play 15th, 16th and 17th century English and French folk music. Which kind of takes you into cool and then past cool into kind of slightly esoteric. Was was it when I said French? Was Uh, that what killed it? That might have been. I don't don't know. Yeah, fair enough. There was a line somewhere in there and uh, I haven't figured out where it is yet either. That's the line Strahan's is endeavouring to walk. Yep. You're trying trying to be cool as hard as you can. Yep. Yeah. We play we play really really old folk songs. Some of them are not even in English, but we do them with drums and bass. So what kind of what are they when they're not in English? Uh, the last one we learnt was in Macedonian. Cool. Does that have a crazy time signature? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I hope that, that was nice up here on know, stage. It's, it's, is that five or seven? I, I, the drummer counts. I don't yeah, you don't need to worry about that. As long as you can keep it in your head. As long as you can speak the Macedonian mm. necessary. I mean, cool. How'd yeah. you learn that? Um, it's on a, an album from a group that uh, I used to love when I was a teenager. And they're only, they're only a couple of years younger than me, actually. Uh, they're called the Beanies. They're the Strat twins, um, the hmm. Nicola and Corinne Stratting, and Kat Moser, who is now in a duo called Kat and Clint, put hmm. together an album which is really beautiful with a lot of Australian uh, folk songs and a couple of uh, modern Irish, contemporary Irish writer stuff, and mm-hmm. and show me Emilio, of course, as you yeah. do. Yeah. So and so you memorized it phonetically. Do you know what it's about? Do you know what's going on? Um, I looked it up when we recorded it. I thought maybe I should be able to tell people where it came from. <laughs> and maybe just make sure you're not singing something really really wrong. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So I don't speak Macedonian, but I did look it up, and it's a story about a kid called Milo, and um, he's at the he's outside his father or his grandfather's shop, and. He's watching all the people go past. I think at some point there's a direct reference to women going past mm-hmm. or an indirect one. But essentially it's just a song about a kid who's sitting outside the shop watching the world go by, which I think is really nice. It's like the it's like the prelude to, like picture Milo, he's sitting and he's watching all the people go past and there's women and he's interested and then one of them is Otis and then they get together and they go on a wonderful adventure. And in the end, they go over a waterfall or something. I haven't seen the movie. Maybe I should learn Macedonian and write a song about Otis or from Otis's perspective. Macedonian 17th century folk concept album, anybody? That's what I'm imagining. You'd have to, what are you going to call the band though? Like no animals were harmed in the making of this 17th century Macedonian folk tribute song. Um, I have heard that there's quite a trend at the moment. There's a big fashion in, in album names that are slightly longer than an essay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. Well, I mean, and you will know us by the trail of dead. We're, we're way ahead of that game. They're in the 90s. Yeah. And yeah. their name started with three dots as well, so you knew that there was more to it. So it's dot, 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 and you will know and us you will know by, by the... Yep. So um, there's, a whole, there's a whole world of implication there, which mm-hmm. should have come from some sort of facial expression, but actually couldn't have been conveyed on the title of the record. That's right. Unless they took a photo of their face and put it on the cover and got really yes. conceptual like that. See, some people put lots of th- thought into the names for their bands and albums. I, I don't so much. Um, Stray Hens came about because, uh, well, the band was originally Saffron Avenue and the set was originally Saffron Avenue. That was the band with Lindsay and Fingal from Rapscallion. Hey, cool. Because uh, we- you're housemates, right? Uh, Fingal. Or were you? Uh, no, Lindsay lived with Fingal for a while, uh-huh. um, and Fingal has now moved to Barwon Heads in New South Wales. Really? Yep. 
Well, what does that mean for everybody's favorite pirate crazy people band? Uh, Rapscallion are still a band and they're still, <laughs> they're still playing, but um, Sarah is uh, studying uh, costumery and making costumes up there and, and that's where the course is and they, live, they wanted to live somewhere a bit calmer so that aside from when they're touring, they can actually chill out <clears throat> sometimes and wear their PJs and not be on stage just because they're going down Brunswick Street. Yeah, I sat when I first, I think one of the first trips I made to Melbourne with Joe, he and I were on a tram and that was exciting and new. And we were <laughs> and we were jamming on the way home from a gig because we were like, everyone plays music on a tram at 11.30. That's not annoying at all. And we played all the way home. And then just like last stop before we got off, Fingal, Fingal gets on the tram. Yeah, Fingal gets up and gets off the tram. Wow. And he got off and I thought, hey, cool, Fingal. I've seen his band. I really like them. And then we saw they had the instruments and in my sort of, unenlightened 22 year old brain I was upset that they hadn't got up and jammed with us I was like come on it's the least they could do they're like they they play in a band and we were playing music near them they really should have got up and played with us and I was like I was really because I never had anything to do with them I was really sort of pissy about that for years without really thinking about it and then I met him and immediately just for, I realized how ridiculous that is was, was that about two years ago maybe even longer I think he He's told me the odd story about being on trams and how he loves that people will just jam on trams. It's it's one of me my favourite things too, except that not being on trams quite so late at night as often, I don't see it nearly as much, but it's definitely one of Fingal's favourite things about Melbourne is that people play music on trams spontaneously and for no... Not just because they're Harry James Angus and they want to make a video, but hmm. because they're, you know, drunk and they have an instrument. Yep. I sold an EP on a tram the other day. How's that for Melvin? Like I was on the tram wasted and I had my little crappy practice guitar and I was playing it quietly and then I looked up and I realized that all the drunken people were sort of staring at me in their zombie style way. And so I picked it up and played a couple of songs and as, as I was pulling up to my stop, someone said, "Do you are you like a real musician? And I said, yeah. He's like, can you play me one of your songs? And I thought, well, I'm going to have to walk home, but I will. And so I did and then he bought the album and then I had to walk for like 25 minutes to get home from Northgate. <laughs> But it was worth it for the sale, 10 bucks. I was meant to be a salesman. In what other place can you can you get a tram where some young punk dude goes, oh, can you play me an original? Yeah, right. <laughs> he didn't say K-San and for that I should have given him $10. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why is it that one song? Uh, it's, it's not necessarily that one song, but um, and in fact, actually for me, I resent being asked to sing... Popular Irish songs. What's a popular Irish song? Uh, alive, alive, oh, alive, alive, oh, crying cockles and muscles, alive, alive, oh. See, this is why their banking system collapsed. <laughs> What's, like, it's a beautiful song, but when you listen to the lyrics, it's about, like, seafood, right? It's, it's about a syphilitic whore who, um, during the day to make money, tries to sell muscles on the dockside, yes. Oh, no, well, that's, that's got way more to it than I initially thought. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So what you're saying is that there's a, a powerful, dark subtext beneath the surface in most of these folk songs. Uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, and, and I like the rare ones better, but, yeah, they mostly have a dark subtext. Did you know that that song, um, Ring a Ring a Rosie, is about the plague? Really? Mm. A tissue, a tissue, we all fall down is you get sick and you die. Whoa. Mm. Yeah, that's intense. Do yeah. they mention those weird uh, bird beak doctors that you, like, 
You know the photos you see of the plague doctors with the big, long-nosed beak thing? and the- I don't think they have a role in the nursery rhyme itself, per se. Oh, yeah, cool. Um, but I don't think I've ever heard more than one verse of that nursery rhyme. I know, I know a lot of people who go really hard into the mythology and the, the research of folk music, and uh, there are a lot of those people, too, who expect that you should actually know where all of the songs that you play come from. Um, Isn't writing traditional in the songwriter bit your excuse for not actually looking up who the songwriter was? Isn't um, that how that works? No, there's a difference between traditional and I don't fucking know because I didn't bother. Mm. Um, So the difference is um, traditional is we know that there are, say, 17 different collected works and you'll find them in the collections of people like um, Mr. Child. Mm -hmm. So have you heard of the Child Murder Ballads? I haven't, but is that just an unfortunate coincidence? Uh, it's it's the the child murder ballads is the sort of generally seen as the most definitive collected work of um, folk music. So there used to be in the eighteen hundreds, um, mostly in the seventeen and eighteen hundreds, famous collectors, and rather than having extremely famous folk musicians, um, because folk musicians are for the for the most part poor, even mm-hmm. back then. Um, you would have collectors and these would be generally reasonably well-off people who would tour the country talking to the people. They'd go out to the villages, they'd look in, you know, in mud shacks that were, you know, pubs that were not all that fancy. They would look at the harvest, they would hang out in the workers' camps and they would they would collect as much music as they possibly could mm-hmm. and they'd document it. And in many cases, particularly in Child's case, they didn't write the music down, only the words. And in many, right. in the case of many of the individual songs, what they would do is they would find not just one version of it, but they'd go to the next town and they'd hear the song sung again. But because humans are human and we don't, you know, with the exception of some extremely talented and eidetic people, we don't remember things verbatim and we change them to apply to our circumstance. So you go from town to town finding that there's a different verse or the song is the same but the evil overlord who, you know, the young virtuous woman is forced to marry has a different name but it's essentially (laughs) the same story. And on it goes. So you've got people like him and then there's... um, Oh, I knew I should have done my research. Well, Alan, that, does Alan Lomax fall into that category? Is exactly. that what you were going to say? Yeah, that's, yeah. Alan Lomax is, is a famous collector. but He, he, he was the collected. American South and he had a recording device. And mm, that that's was the right. big deal with him, right? Did you know that actually Alan Lomax, um, you were, one of the things you, you mentioned earlier was that you were, were keen to talk about what it's like to be a woman in the industry. Mm-hmm. One of the things that applies very much to, to that question is that Alan Lomax mostly toured the deep south of America with female, young female apprentices, attractive young female apprentices. I didn't think he was that much of a rock star. I pictured him as like a, a recluse with well, a giant recording thing. Well, in England, he was a rock star. He was um, mm. in the academic circles. He was seen as, as definitely like a rock star. And um, the 19-year-old Shirley Collins actually went off... Oh, I think I've got it wrong. I think it's Judy Collins. I can't remember. As long as you said both of them, I can just cut whichever one you need in. So just say Shirley Collins, Judy Collins. Shirley Collins, Judy Collins. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to leave that in. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this this again highlights the the difference between me and serious researchers. Um, 
is one of the people who, who did a lot of the work. She carried the cameras. She did a lot of the notations. She did a lot of the research. And she did amazing things like being an unmarried 19-year-old woman in the company of a man, traveling in the company of a man, in the Bible Belt of America in the 1800s. Now, if Whoa. that doesn't mean she had balls, I don't know. Did she carry a gun? I hope she did. I don't know. She... she um. She's, she was still alive a couple of years ago. I don't know if, she, if she still is now. And she gave a lecture in England, which I got to go and see. Right. And she's not credited on any of the collected works of Lomax, all of mm. his published work. And this is, this is a consistent thing um, down throughout man, many, many genres and many parts of the industry where women actually did a, a large part of the contributions to, to the work and the research, but don't get any of the credit at all. So is there, can some, I mean, we've heard that story and so we can maybe go back and, and fix that, but can, can, is there someone out there going around and trying to plug those gaps and figure out who contributed to what and, um, or is it is like, or is it just sort of left as a... I think there are a lot of historians now who are doing biographies of women um, as well as there are of men and that gradually we get more and more... Um, more and more of people's attention and more and more of people's focuses. And then, of course, mm-hmm. there's more women with more freedom, so their interests become uh, very slowly more and more recognised. So eventually that's happening, but it's, it'll never... A lot of that stuff is gone forever and will never come back. Hmm. Can I, I sort of have a, a vision in my head that female performers might cross over into the mainstream more often than male performers in the folk area like i'm picturing well same with that singer who did oh me oh my oh and julian welsh julian welsh like because she's i mean she's for me falls right in that lomax music oh yeah that's area. that's what she does dead set yeah yeah and you listen to her albums and there might there might be two or three originals and it's all great old traditional songs yeah. she comes from a a, a group a, a culture of people who um revere the grand Ole opry which is um I've heard, the, I've heard the name and I know that it's where they record the awesome Family Hour radio broadcast thing. Yeah, so the Grand Ole Opry uh, was um, a series of events and then it was, uh, I think, a radio show and mm-hmm. it's had a, a few variations and um, it's responsible for making most of the country stars um, from the 1950s onwards. Um, but it's also, for me, it's kind of a genre. Anything that fits in the Grand Ole Opry is kind of, mm-hmm. it fits in a box in my head. Because there's boozed up rambling men and there's sweet voiced ladies playing with fiddlers and there's a thousand different things I don't in between, know. right? I, I is guess it all white? I picture the Grand Ole Opry as being pretty staunchly. It's not, it's very American. Yeah, very American. Is so, that Americana? So they, Does that overlap? Yeah. Yeah. So they don't have dark humour in the same way that, say, the BBC would. Mm-hmm. But, um, I look, I don't know, I'm not, a, I'm not an Americana aficionado either. I wouldn't say that it's, it's all light, but um, mm. my feeling is certainly not that it's particularly grim, like the grim fairy tales and all of the Russian and Celtic um, folk tales that cross over into a lot of the songs that we, that we sing. In which the good person invariably dies. Yeah, and sometimes there's not even a good person. Oh, yeah, okay. It's a twist on the traditional narrative. Yeah. So what do you do in a story? Like, what's a song in which there's no no hero? Well, a lot of, particularly things like the child murder ballads um, mm. and a lot of particularly Scottish folk songs uh, involve stories about um, big fights and murder and then just don't go any further. 
further than that. That's the, the whole story is 15, you know, maybe 60, 70 verses. Some of their songs go on for three days. Oh, about one murder. About one, like one song. Quentin the singer Tino starts in the morning. There's a break for lunch. They go through the afternoon. You break for the evening and then you get up and you start again. And I'm, I am not kidding. Sounds like conceptual cinema. Like there was the Chinese videographer who just released a 24-hour movie of life in China. Everyone went, wow, what a clever idea. But it doesn't sound so clever now. <laughs> That's what sagas were. So we didn't have TV. So instead of having one three-minute song to tell a story, they would be like, tell us more about... Robin Hood and how he killed all of those men on the highway and then they will lovingly describe every sword swipe and stab Mm. and the bleeding on the ground and then the the crows come and they have like a two-hour long conversation about whether or not they're going to eat the eyes first. And again, you know, it's I'm not even kidding. Like it's it is funny, but uh, it's it's not a joke. It's it's for real. What happens? You know, this is this is the culture that they came from and they will often be stories about miserable, horrible black knights who kill each other and then that's all that happens. Wow. I mean, because you have heroes like Cuculain, who, like, he was the Irish Hercules and he yeah. went around and killed everyone with a sword. And then you have, like, Stagger Lee, who's killing people left, right and centre, and then Nick Cave <laughs> sings about him. And that's... I mean, Nick Cave has, what, like an eight-verse version of Stagger Lee and that's all just him killing everyone in the bar one by one and yeah. the, the mistress at the bar begs for her life and then he shoots her and blah, blah, blah. Do you get crossovers? Like, yeah. do you get Robin Hood versus Stagger Lee? I don't think that – I'm not sure that the, the main heroes of every song generally cross over, but you do find frequently that uh, there's one song that I really love or there's three separate songs which I really love which um, share verses in, in their different versions. And um, in in my favourite version, it's, um, it's a, a beautiful song about a, a woman who wakes up because someone's knocking at her window turns out it's her lover and it's pissing down with rain and he's fucking miserable and he's going, would you let me in, woman? I'm really drenched. And she's like, oh. I've been knocking for ten verses. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And, um, and she says, oh, I don't know. My floors are really creaky and the front door squeaks and I'm really not allowed to have men in my room and dad will catch me and then, you know, we'll both die. So, I don't know. And then he goes, oh, fine then. And he gets back on his boat and he's sailing away by which time she's managed to, you know, 18 verses later, put all her clothes on and run out through the window and down to the docks and she gets there to the docks just as he's leaving. And she says, come back, my own dear Johnny, come back, come back to me. And he says, I can't because the boat's already sailing. And she says, fish may fly and the seas run dry. The rocks may melt down with the sun. The working man may forget his labour. How far that my love returns again. And there's maybe six or seven different songs that I know that have a verse where the rocks melt with the sun or fish fly. Or ah, so the metaphors find their way or the, Im- the images find yeah, their way around. Uh, um, uh, if... If I had wings like Noah's dove, I'd fly away to the one I love. It just depends on which song you're picking and what you're trying to say, but they all share verses. Yeah, we heard one of them just the other day. We were in the car and we heard Ray Kuda singing something and Kayla pointed out that it was a line of another song and it was the hardest day's work I've ever done was working on the farm. And in the one song it went on to say, and the easiest day's work I ever done was swinging in my lover's arms. And in the other one it was, 
uh, <laughs> hardest hardest day's work. Oh, I should try and do the the thing where you sing, but I, I, that freaks me <laughs> no, out. Um, hardest day uh, hardest day's work that ever I done was working on the rye. Hard, easiest work that I ever done was eating me a chicken pie. <laughs> 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 Which is Raikuda at his best. The whole song is about chicken pie. Awesome. It's called Chicken Pie. Worth a listen. See, my favourite crossover that happens now is when I listen to contemporary artists like Devin Sproul from Virginia mm-hmm. who starts to sing about other musicians. Cool. She's oh, like, I saw like about Lead Belly and that kind of thing. Or yeah, oh, like she, classic musicians or people who are around now? De- people who are around now. Like Devin Sproul says... Um, New raccooner on the radio and cooking for one. Cool. And, you know, and so you get the um, you get the urge to go and listen to a raccooner album because you've heard the Devon Sproul one and he, he was mentioned and it's it's good. I like that that kind of derivative thing. And you can even when you include other people's work in your own, I find mm-hmm. that it encourages me to go and listen to the other artists. So mm-hmm. um, he's gone now, so I can say it. Ender Kenny was in here before, and he's an amazing folk singer. He's originally from Ireland, but he's been living here for 30 years or something. And uh, I find that I occasionally reference his songs deliberately mm-hmm. when I'm writing mine. Cool. That's and, a great idea. Yeah. And it's like stealing, but you have a really great reason to do it. Well, yeah. So the, I, I, I was doing that particularly through my early 20s, not even thinking about it. I was just being inspired, as you do, because I'm taking – my influences and putting them into my songwriting. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else pointed out that it, it could be seen as plagiarism. I'm like, but that's a deliberate reference. It's a nod. It's a it's an homage. This is not... St- All that intellectual property stuff must be so out of touch with everything you've just been talking about, about uh, songs sharing imagery and melodies not being written down by the guys who are recording, like yeah. doing the definitive recordings of the songs. There's no melody in there. I mean, <laughs> how how could any of that work in the folk sphere? I f- kind of feel like they must have their own little world. Well, it, it very much world. does now because folk is popular again and it's making a whole lot of money. And if you're making a whole lot of money, then people you are gonna get angry. hire people to manage your money for you and the intellectual rights to things. And then they start doing things like controlling it for you. And then suddenly... You have a lawyer talking to some 16-year-old who's put a cover of your song on YouTube saying, you can't do that, son, you owe me $2 million. It's just... Mm, uh, that's pretty gross, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I see how it happens and I understand how it happens, but it's mm-hmm. very disappointing. You're right. Man, I would pay $10 million to have some 16-year-old kid record a version of one of my songs. That would be the <laughs> ultimate flattery. I remember seeing Johnny Greenwood in, a, in an interview in 2005 or 2006 from Radiohead, <laughs> and they said, what's your highlight of... of of your career and he said oh there's too many career highlights to mention but the most recent one because YouTube had just come out so 06, 07 something like that doesn't seem like that long ago considering how big it is now but he said yeah we, we released our album and three days later a hundred covers of the song had gone up on this site YouTube and I think that was the most flattering thing that's happened to me in living memory <laughs> and I thought hey how cool is that that just anonymous people would see fit to grab your song and steal it Sal and S- Sally from the Stray Hens um, and I went out to Nanga Music Festival in WA, mm-hmm. which you get to play only by invite and is nice. pretty much just for the locals. So there's maybe five, 600 people tops mm-hmm. in a reasonably small, it's like a scout camp that you have. So there's a few different venues, but everybody eats in a big dining hall at a set time. And cool. Yeah. How's your knot tying? It's, um, <laughs> it improved dramatically. Actually, no, I, I'd like to say that I learned a lot at the workshops, except that 
we met a whole bunch of crazy people and became the life of the party because Sally knows a lot of old-timey and a lot of Irish tunes and there were a few mm. other bands there with banjos and stuff and I like to sing along. Anyway, we got up quite late and uh, went home. Do you know that it doesn't just take five hours to fly home from WA? Like it takes five hours to fly to WA on the plane but to fly home, you get up quite early with a hangover on the last day of the festival <laughs> and you get on the plane at around 10 and then, of course, there's delays and it doesn't leave until 11 and then you fly home and it takes five hours and there's a two to three hour time difference so that by the time you get home, it's dark already. It's a whole day to fly home with a hangover from WA. And I, I got back and uh, I was, you know, just a, just about enough recovered after the champagne and the giggles and the Indian meal that we had on the, on a arrival home. And then I, I checked Facebook and some 16-year-old from Nanga Music Festival in WA had Facebooked me and said, we loved your stuff and we bought your album. We've been playing it all week. Great. Really That's so good. What a great thing to come home to after all that horror. It was, yeah. Uh, it, was, it, did make, it did make an otherwise fairly horrific day very cool so it's definitely flattering it is the most flattering thing that can happen definitely if you want to make the transition the full bore transition to old-timey bard this could be your epic you could start <laughs> with 10 12 verses about being over in western australia maybe the invite could start the thing yeah, yeah you'd have and then to the, start here and then and and yeah. talk about getting the letter in the mail and, yeah, and, and what paper the letters on and stuff yeah and then but then the, the plane <laughs> trip you'd have to make it endless it's like it's metonymy, like you actually make the how endless the plane trip feel genuinely endless in the song. And then you get home and you just have one quick, maybe half a verse in which it's like, <laughs> and they gave us a call and they played my song heaps. The end. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> and that's my seven day set. And you're all done. <laughs> that's great. I have to play a two hour gig on Sunday. I think I might I'll, I'll yeah. work that in. <laughs> how do you pick a chord progression that's not going to get stale over 16 hours or however long these songs take? 16 hours? I think. Eight, five. I think. Now, I'm not a blues musician, but I love the blues. Mm -hmm. I really, especially at the moment, I'm really getting into bands like um, King Wolf. Have you heard of King Wolf? Yeah, there's sort of a King Wolf, well, not a King Wolf tribute band, but yeah. Rich Davies is in a band that's called something Wolf. And that's, he, that's it. That's, that's it's it. It's Rich Davies' band. Okay, so that's the King Wolf tribute band I was thinking so of. Those guys. Is formed, King Wolf. Yeah, yeah. 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 So they do a great cover. They, they're amazing and they, they formed that band specifically because they wanted to play like cock rock and blues basically and uh, they, they put this band together and I just, I just think it's amazing and I have figured out that the trick is to use as few chords as possible mm -hmm. and that makes the song more interesting. Ah, uh, because you're not just being given the same change a hundred times. You've just, the, the, when there finally is a change, it's... It's totally exciting. Yeah. And... More things go with the two notes than go with, say, the f the note, the four chord progression. You mm. can you can actually be more inventive on a two chord um, progression than you can with a four. Yeah, that makes sense because then you've got that you're not siloing yourself off. And mm. wow, cool! All right, that's I'm gonna have to write a series of what eight hour songs with only one chord. <laughs> I feel my music career blossoming, green shoots coming if, up. If anyone can do that, you could. I don't have any tradition in the blues or the... I briefly imitated the blues because I was imitating Jack White, but that's how, imitation of an imitation. If you've only been to 11 and a half folk festivals, how did you end up going to folk festivals? I went to folk festivals because Barbara Cameron, who is a family friend of mine and one of my first girlfriends, definitely the first girl whose hand I held, that was awesome. Her family are... 
diehard folk festival in Canberra, National Folk Festival people. Her grandmother is like 90 and last year was the first year that she didn't camp and it wasn't because she didn't like creakily getting into and out of a tent that was on the ground and sleeping on the ground at 90. It was because they stopped offering cheap tickets to seniors for the first time and she was crushed uh, and so she didn't go in protest. But before that, she hadn't missed a folk festival in like however long it's been going. 30 so, years. So you went with this family and got hooked. And I fell right into that community, right? Because you go there and they have 30 friends that they only ever see once a year at the Folkie. And you play and that's, you know, I, I basked for the first time there and I really realised that there were... I saw a kid playing Bach's first suite for cello on an acoustic guitar and it blew my mind to think that you could do one song from one instrument on a different instrument. <laughs> and I followed him around for a day just watching him play really shitty classical covers on his little steel string. It changed my life. I was like 15. I, was, I came late to the music so game. You were a 15-year-old stalking an 11-year-old with a steel string guitar at a festival. Not, not much has changed in my life. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I really genuinely loved it then, and that's where, that's where I discovered finger-picking, and, and that's now the only real thing I have to offer musically. You play cleverly enough with your finger-picking, and people just fall in love with it. They do. Yeah, myself included. Still, <laughs> even though I'm on the inside of the magic, I'm still in love with it. I, think I, it's am, great. I only just started using plectrums uh, for the first time because because in the band I play a lot of rhythm guitar now and Destroys solo. Well, yeah, and not just your nails, but your cuticles. It actually cuts away this, the flesh around your nail. And yeah. If I have a good enough run of gigs, my whole my hand just looks like it was in a meat process. Yeah, and I, I, I just I actually can't do this anymore. Also, I, I gave myself a blister on on this finger when I went busking with oh no this one um when I went busking with Sally and the blister burst and then I had all this like scarring and loose skin and I was trying to finger peek at a solo gig and it was all just a bit too hard. So I'm a bit too rock and roll. You mean? Yeah. Totally rock and folk and bluegrass, baby. Um, For those at home, you didn't see the folk and bluegrass finger hand gesture. We just got, that was awesome. I did it wrong. Um, you, what you are meant to do is, um, in folk, there's a popular genre called finger in the ear singing. She usually goes somewhere along the Craig David look. Young, like, <laughs> does Craig David do that? He had a famous album cover when everyone here was in their early teens, where he's holding the headphones really close to his head. But it's that's I've always associated that with, even though I get the point now. It's important. Yeah, it gives you your pitch. There's a there's a great um, there's a great image uh, recently on Facebook. I saw somebody had done a whole lot of um, images of Game of Thrones characters and what they would look. Like if they were 80s kids. Oh, great. Yeah, fair. I'll send you a link. But, uh, <laughs> the magic of the internet. But so they, they did a similar thing a while back of Ewan McColl, who's this famous English singer, um, with one finger in his ear like he normally does, but with a telephone in it and the other arm extended like a rock peak. All right. Which has now become the international symbol of folk and roll. Yeah, right. So you rock, you rock, you're rocking the fuck out, but your, your pitch is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> cool, I love that. So, what's it? What's his name? Uh, Ewan McColl. So, is it the McColl salute? The McColl sign? Uh, Ewan McColl wrote uh, "Streets of London." Streets of London. Have you seen the old man? Uh, don't tell me you're lonely, or say for you that the sun don't shine. Let me take you by the hand. I'll lead you through the streets of London. I'll show you something that'll make you change your mind. 
Oh man, it's so nice being looked at while singing like that happens. <laughs> you, you guys should try it sometime later. We'll just send Mandy around the bar and she'll just look into your eyes and sing. It's really lovely. I don't know that song though. Wow. I thought everybody had to do that in primary school. <laughs> the only song I had to do in primary school was... I went to religious school, so I did great, great reels like Lord of the Dance. Uh, I danced with the devil when the sky turned black. He's about to dance with the devil on your back. And it, which now, as an adult, I realize dance, that... Dance, dance, wherever yeah. you're you, Lord of the dance, dance said he. And I will lead you all wherever you may be. You all in the dance said he. Yeah, which I, I picture being like 10 years old and only just being able to see over the pew and being fascinated by the awesome hand-knitted kneeling cushions. You know, I, I went to a Catholic primary school once. Once. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> for a day. I lasted about I lasted about a week and a half. Okay, so what you need to know is that um, as a very young child, when I first started schooling, I lived in a very rural community. And I, when I say rural, I mean it, it used to have a pub and a milk bar, but then the milk bar closed down, so we just had a pub. <laughs> uh, less than five hundred people, and uh, my mother's partner moved out, and uh, so I, you know, I I had to change schools because she was working in Ballarat, which is an hour away. She drove all the way to Ballarat and you can't really leave a five-year-old at home to take herself to school. So I went to school in Ballarat and she took me to a, it was like grade two or something, I think. And um, she put me in a Catholic school. And um, the other thing you need to know about me is I was raised totally without religion. I had no Bibles in the house, no religion at all. And I was raised by for the most part, a, a totally single feminist in a rural country town who did things like mow the lawns without a bra. So, you know, not a lot of persecution, but there was a little bit, you know. Yeah, it was, it of, was frowned upon by the conservative population uh, the it, town. There was some heavy breathing and abusive phone calls from the local cricket club, and oh. it wasn't physically safe in the pub for her. Oh, um, geez. Really? Yeah, so so anyway, she's, she's working in Ballarat, and she takes me to this Catholic school, and I have been raised by bohos and artists, women with beards who don't shave or pluck their moustaches because they work in aged care and in solidarity for all the little old Italian ladies who can't, you know, because their skin's too sensitive, Mm -hmm. she doesn't shave or pluck. And um, folk musicians and stuff and and people who read Grassroots magazine and make their own geodesic domes. This is how (laughs) I've been raised. And... uh, and I go to this Catholic primary school and, and uh, this, this is show and tell. And uh, I've been used to not having a lot of time with the parentals to organise things like show and tell. And I'm pretty resourceful and creative myself, so I just think I'll take myself off to show and tell and do my own thing. And I learned a new song that week. It was by a guy called Brian McNeil. And we had a, a record, a vinyl of, of Brian McNeil. And... Um, I sang, uh, <laughs> stand up, stand up for Judas and the cause that Judas served. It was Jesus who betrayed the poor with his words. Oh, God, no. <laughs> How is that even a song? I think I was like eight or something. That's fantastic. I just thought it was a story. All of the stuff I'd been told was, st- it is just a story, which I later, anyway, mum got a phone call saying, I'm not sure if this is the right school for your child. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And so what, you just got to hang out in Ballarat? Yeah. D- as a kid? Um, no, I, I switched schools. I then went to a, uh, another Ballarat primary school, Ballarat being not quite as small as people picture. 
um, called Mount Pleasant Primary School. Oh no! Does that follow the rule? We've heard that there's a rule Completely of suburb naming. Unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like sunshine. Don't go outside at night or during the day in sunshine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and avoid the train station at all costs. Yep. Yeah. You know what I learned about Ballarat from a folk song? Because they have that great community radio station in Ballarat, which is just like the tourist info radio. Okay, so you would have heard the song because it's one of the three songs they play on a loop. B-A-L-L-A-R-A-T. And I went, hold on. B-A-L-L-A-R-A-T. Right? Google it. No, that's the truth. It changed over the years. It used to be Ballarat. But then the, some mayor some mayor, mayor thought it looked too weird. And when they built the highway and he went out and inaugurated the highway, he was like, nope, won't do. I'm going to change it. And so it slowly changed to Ballarat with one A, which is less magical. It is less magical. Yeah. Double vowels are very magical things. They're so rare. People called Aaron, for instance, or Aaron, if you pronounce it that way. I've recently discovered there are two pronunciations of Aaron or Aaron and... Um, Really? So you can just keep going through all the vowel sounds at that point, can't you? Because yep. then you've got Aaron and Erin if you're a bit of a bargain. Do you know that Erin is also a man's name? I do, because I have a cousin named Erin. Mm, and so is Mandy. There is a famous actor who's a man called Mandy. Can, does anybody in the audience know who this is? Yes. Awesome. Is it, is it, can you quote me his most famous line? Those of you at home who couldn't hear that, it, look, dude, can you do that for the mic? Because then we can put it in the podcast. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, come on, quick. <laughs> I can't put it too far ahead because it will be back. Just okay, there, cool. yep. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Yes! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Oliver Hayes, our new movie quote expert. Yeah. So just in case anybody's thinking about um, slightly scantily clad teenage uh, music stars. Many more, I many more. I, Sorry. <laughs> I know that was meant to be subtle, but I loved her as a kid. I think, actually, if, if, if one has to think of a Mandy aside from obviously my good self, mm-hmm. it should be Mandy Patinkin who played Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride. What has he done for me lately? Because I saw him on Ellen and he just did the line again and he looked really sad. He was he in was, Dead Like Me. He was in Chicago Hope. Ah. <sighs> Oh, great. Well, it's good to know that he's got stuff going on. And... Because I I'm, like him. Yeah. And be I believe fun. he has a record as well. No way. Mm. Now that is good news. Much like, you know, William Shatner. Oh, yeah, and Scarlett Johansson, who doesn't do such a bad job really? of Tom Waits covers, a whole album of... No way. True story. Produced by Dave Sitek of TV on the Radio, which is also a band that I love. I haven't heard he, of it's them. On your modern, it's on your modern listening playlist. Yeah, I'll send you, a, send you a playlist. Which is what playlist? I'll, I will give you an, an ancient playlist. if you. That's actually a really great idea. Okay, so what we'll do is we'll swap playlists and I'll put them both up online. I used to, I used to have this idea, uh, which I've never gotten around to doing, which was that at all of my gigs, I would um, have a little flyer or a little booklet to give to people who you know, did the whole folk music. What's that? Actually, I really like folk music, but I've just discovered it and I want to learn more. Mm. I wanted to put, and I should still put together a little booklet of the folk songs that I know and love and the recordings that I know of by modern people. uh, Accessible stuff. Like Kate Burke and Ruth Hazleton, like the May Trio. Like Gillian Welch. Like Gillian Welch. um, and, And so that I could give people, you know, the... 
the old reference and then something that's really awesome to go away and listen to. That's a magnificent idea. You should definitely do I that. I should really do that. Yeah. Because yeah. I, 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 when I was at college, there were a lot of classical music students going to the same uni, ANU, and uh, a lot of my friends who were doing their sort of end-of-year concerts, they all have booklets that they put on the seats because you have to do a little... It's part of your assessment. You have to sort of give a brief history of who it is and what the pieces are and what they mean and, and their history or whatever. But because a lot of these people were, were real pro-musos who'd been practicing since they were five and had never really paid attention to anything else, a lot of the language was just execrable, however you say that word. Exactly. The irony of not being able to pronounce the word in that sentence is not lost on me. <laughs> Jess but Gill from Flap the other day, I, I work with just Jess Gill sometimes, and um, she was trying to tell me something, and she jumped up and down like a little pixie and said, oh, I am so ineloquent today. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's great. She undid herself. She, she used a four-letter word, <laughs> a four-syllable word. I see, now I'm ineloquent. Oh, we've trapped ourselves. So talk about Flap because they just keep coming up in my life. I know you recorded with Sally Taylor, who's in Flap uh, she, at some point. She was one of the founding members. She's actually not been part of Flap for a long time. Ooh, the, the note in your voice tells me that there's a scoop No, there's in there. totally not a scoop. Go on. No one's listening. No, there's a... Um, <laughs> It, it was back when I was not just a folky and uncool because I was a folky, but I was also um, not particularly cool in the folk scene itself. So even among Ooh. folk kids back then, I was not necessarily in the loop. Like when I desperately tried to make friends with the nerds and they wouldn't have me in high school. How does that happen? I mean... Radio fist bump. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we have so much in common. Yeah, we really do. We should be friends. So you, you weren't cool. Tell me more about how uncool you were. Uh, I had, in 1994, I had a hair wrap that went down to my ankle and I wore cheesecloth skirts. What is it? Cheesecloth? Is that that white stuff that you strain? No, it's that really kind of thin cotton fabric, which is usually done in like Bartik patterns and sometimes has mirrors attached to it. Oh, great. I love mirrored clothing. We need more of that. Oh, it's fashionable again now, except that I'm looking at 15-year-olds who come up to me and go, oh, I love what you do. I just folk music is so good. And part of me kind of goes, let me show you everything I know. And the other half of me is kind of saying, come closer so I can kill you. That's why you need the pamphlets. <laughs> this, you don't need to get close to them. No, I can just hand them the pamphlets and walk away. Yeah. <laughs> folk music is so cool. And I'm like clearly popular. And I have lots of friends who also like to play folk music. And I'm totally not scarred emotionally. And um, I'm just going to rub that in your face. This is a great opportunity for, you, for your, <laughs> your better folk-loving self to overcome the teenage hate self that you and I both harbour deep in our I, souls. I have mitigated the problem by not actually throttling them and just telling this story on stage as much as humanly possible. Oh, to scare them off. <laughs> Do you get people standing up and walking out at that point? No, no, actually. Um, although uh, just recently I had a moment as a struggling musician where I was playing just down the road from here um, at Summer Velvet Morning, there is a venue called the Clifton Hill Hotel, which has Ooh. been for over 21 years, every Wednesday, except for during the... the two hottest summer months, um, every Wednesday it has three acoustic artists. And this is a beautiful thing, you know, it's a, it's a really long-running and dedicated group and it has a dedicated group of listeners who deliberately go to see live acoustic music every week. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's really hard to come by, you know, lately, m- most musicians in my industry at the moment, in, in my part of the industry, have to bring their crowd to a venue. I know, I kind of know that. Yeah, and so when you, you know, when you book a gig, you are expected to bring the crowd and that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, 
Try traveling to Sydney where they won't give you a gig unless you can give them a list of people you're going to bring. Except that I've never been to Sydney and how else will I build a crowd? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So this place is a really lovely place, except that I I did this one gig and it was just kind of coming back from the summer break and um, I was on my own for the first time in ages. Um, I've been playing with the band a lot. And there was this table of four people who sat, you know how... In this venue, there's one single table in the room that is not taken, and that's because nobody wants to sit right in front of the stage and, you know, somehow distract the audience. Mm -hmm. Well, what they did was they took – there were four out of 13 people in quite a large room, and they took the table directly in front of the stage, and they talked for the entire 40 minutes of my set, right up until the the moment where I had my last song, and I was – I thought I'd just, you know, try really hard, and I pride myself – on my ability to shut a pub up. I can do it. In Irish sessions where everybody's talking and there's a lot of loud music and there's pints going and everything is happening, I can do an a cappella song and shut the pub up just for one song, but I can do it, you know? It's quite talent. It, it is, and it's a, it's a thing that I pride myself on and you've got to pick your moment and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I tried everything. I tried getting louder. I tried playing more guitar. I tried playing no guitar. I tried clapping along. I tried asking the audience to clap along with even the most raucous people. Usually, you know, they, they do that. And they just talked right like a steam. Yabba, 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 yabba. Ah! I was so annoyed. So by they were crab people. This is like they were, <laughs> they were like seagull people. They oh, were yeah, great. Office, Some sea creature. Office seagull people. Like have in your mind office people who look like a flock of seagulls who are raucous and they're stealing your moment and, and your food. Mm-hmm. And I get to the last song and I'm like, hey, whoo, yep. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about this this last song because I recorded it on this tribute album that we've done of the Clifton Hill acoustic, you know, night. This 21 year commemorative double album that I'm, and they're just like yabby yabby yabby. And I went, mm. "Oi, Kiri!" And this woman says, "Oh, keep in mind she's right here, you know, right in front of me, the very first table." She says to her friends, "Oh, she's so rude." Oh, God. And I snapped, and it was the most unprofessional moment in my career. Totally, totally snapped and just went, are you fucking serious? Do you have any idea? You have just talked through 40 minutes of my set, and I have just asked for your attention for this last song so that the other 13, or I don't know, what's four? 13 minus four? Nine. The other nine people in the room who came here to listen to me can listen to this song. Please. And she went, oh, she's just totally missing the point. Oh, God. <laughs> and I played the last song and I played it really, really badly. And then the manager came down and the manager and I are mates. You know, we've been known each other for a long time. That's, that's one of the places that gave me my first ever opportunity to play in front of an audience. And he's come down and he's like, what's going on? I heard there was a bit of an altercation. I said, I didn't hit anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're innocent. You're innocent. <laughs> All you did was shut them up. I, except I didn't. It didn't work. <sighs> I'm sure there's a moral in there, but I, don't, I think it's I, lost on me. I, um, I think it is that. 
You should try, if you're going to be an acoustic musician and a folk musician, you should try to market yourself to a listening audience and people who deliberately come out to listen to this stuff like you guys, which is totally amazing and I really appreciate um, the guys in the audience who've come out to listen to it. And the people who dig up folk music and, and obscure artists work on the internet, that's, that's the stuff that you really want to support and play to. And there's absolutely no point... In go- and the Clifton Hill is not usually a place where that happens. They were blow-ins. It doesn't happen mm-hmm. that often. And usually there's quite a big crowd of, of listening people. But it was a good reminder for me to um, play to my strengths and play to my audiences and, and really try and create environments where my music is um, augmented rather than pushed down by a lot of other ambient noise. That's a really, that's a really strong story about... I, I can talk a lot. I should have warned you. <laughs> no, that's fine. Look, and that's on that note, I think we might have to wrap it up because yeah. we've been going for a really long time. I thank you guys for your patience and I thank everyone for listening. Mandy, <laughs> is there anything else you want to let us know before you go? Do you have stuff coming up that um, we should be excited about? There are some releases coming up on the internet. So uh, maybe find the website, mandyconnell.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously also there's the strayhens.com as well. And with the traditional stuff and um, find me and you can talk to me and ask me questions about the stuff that I mentioned or ask me where the songs I sang today came from. And will you look directly into their eyes and sing a, a line or two? Not if they send me Facebook messages. Oh yeah, okay, no, we'll do it in person then. Yeah. Uh, I'm really looking forward to your set. Thanks so much for joining me. <laughs> Thanks, Jacobs. That's the show. Thanks a ton for listening in. Look us up on Facebook or on Twitter at Long by the River or at our new email address, waitlongbytheriver at gmail.com. That's a no-brainer. If you send us your email, we'll sign you up to the newsletter and you can be the first to find out about our next guests. You can submit your own questions. Uh, you can even just tell us what you think of the show. It's up to you. Uh, well, we'll see you at our live shows, first Wednesday of every month at Sun Velvet Morning in Clifton Hill. Ta-ta for now. All right, suit up. I, all right. Do you want me to get you a drink? Wait, you can take a break if you I really would, want to. I would now. really like another glass of red wine. I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I did still look at him a lot. Oh, look at that. Wow, this made everything easier.